Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project Dreammaker. I'm your host, Stephen R. Burns, and I'm really excited about the guest I have for you today. And before I introduce her, I just want to remind you, please click like or subscribe. It makes a huge difference for us. Okay, and my guest today is Jackie Shaquette. She is the Executive Vice President of the Ontario Liberal Party. She's also a Vice President at Crestview Strategy. I am the national practice lead. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming Hi. on. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So this show, we talk about entrepreneurs, artists, and those in the game. And, and that includes people who uh, work in charity or people who work in politics. It's all a very kind of a similar field. And we also talk about starting out and starting over. Um, you are in a unique position and we're going to talk about that a little bit later but tell me about a little bit about your childhood where you grew up um and how things evolved for you from there sure thanks um so i grew up in a small town just outside of ottawa i think the population of my town was 630 people something like that um and i i'm i'm lucky i count myself blessed that i had the kind of childhood where uh, our parents would kick us out the door in the morning and we wouldn't come back until supper and it would just be us and our bikes and through the woods and through the fields and we had a lot of creative fun play. Um, and so uh, I grew up in a house that was really active and, and engaged my parents. We had some of the best and most formative discussions of my life around our dinner table when I was a kid. My parents were very um, aware and had strong opinions about what the government was doing or what was happening around them. And so from an early age, we were taught to think critically, to, to pay attention to the world around us and to form opinions about what we thought and what that meant. And I think that's probably what paved the, the early road to where I ultimately ended up today. So you, you ended up going to school uh, for political science, right, at Carleton. Mm -hmm. Was that, um, was politics already on your mind then when you were a teenager, when you went to school or how did, how did that evolve? No, not at all. And I, if my high school guidance counselor is watching, she will cringe because I, I, I really had no plan when I left high school. I chose my degree because I liked the courses that I would have to take as prerequisites. And I enjoyed history. I enjoyed economics. I liked philosophy. I liked politics. So I picked by, based on that. But Growing up in Ottawa or around Ottawa, I, I genuinely thought that I would graduate university and work for the federal public service. That's what lots of people did. And that's sort of the path that I was on uh, until I did a co-op in university and I worked for four months in the federal public service. And I said, that's not for me. Um, they do a lot of great work in the government, but I sort of fell in love with the other side of things kind of accidentally in politics. And I studied politics because I was interested in it, but being involved in politics and getting involved in my first campaign was completely different than anything that I'd ever read about in a book or written papers about in university. And so I think I, I, I didn't quite fall in love with politics until I did it, so to speak. And I'm going to stop there just for a second so people understand, because I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of information out there, misnomers that people think of campaigns and, mm -hmm. and what it is. Um, and now for those of you listening, Jackie has run multiple successful campaigns. Um, and I know the amount of work that goes into it. But what was the what was the biggest surprise for you, like being on the ground, being involved in a campaign that 
that kind of shook the trees a little bit for you and saying, oh, you know what, I, I really like this. Yeah, for me, it's, um, so politics is my sport. I was never particularly athletic growing up. I, um, I played sports, but never seriously. And what I love about politics immediately was the camaraderie. There's an intense focus on team and, and a team that is put through uh, an intense adrenaline-filled short period of time where you need to accomplish a tremendous amount of work to get to the end. And so it, for me, it was the teamwork uh, and the people that I met along the way that really, that really meant the difference to me. I'm also, notwithstanding that I'm not uh, athletic, I'm hyper-competitive. And so for me, Politics was fun because um, because it, it gave me an outlet and it gave me an end goal and, and things to work towards. And there was there was a clear uh, there's clear winners and losers. You know when you've made it and you know when you haven't. And I've been on both sides of that coin. Yeah, well, I've helped out a couple of campaigns, not obviously to your extent, um, but I did grow up playing on sport teams and playing sports, and that is absolutely true. And even when you talk to professional athletes, the one thing that the constant that they say is when they retire is they miss the guys in the locker room and the girls in the yeah. locker room. They, they, they miss that because you don't kind of get that high end, you know, competitive, you know, we're all pulling out the same string kind of thing from like diverse people from diverse backgrounds. And you have that kind of unifying aspect of it. Um, in terms of challenges, we're going to fast forward a little bit. You continually, you moved up the ranks to the point where now you're running campaigns. Um, mm -hmm. what, what were the challenges for you, um, first in general, and then specifically, because this is something I know you're passionate about, we wanna do a little deeper dive on this, is your challenges as a woman um, in politics. Because mm -hmm. we, there is this misperception, and again, we, we're going to break this down further in a second. There's a misperception that there's equal representation gender-wise in politics, and that is absolutely not true. It's certainly not true here in Canada. It, it could be in other countries, but it's not here. So what were the challenges that you found, first of all, in general, and then uh, to you know, being more specific, uh, challenges as a woman? There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'll start with um, indulge me because I'll I'll do a, a brief rewind to set the stage a little bit. I okay. um I volunteered on my first election campaign when I was 24, and I signed up not knowing anybody online through a website because I wanted to get involved. It was that simple. Um, and from there, I made connections. I met people. I ended up really liking it, and that resulted in in me landing my first job in politics. And that job was working in a constituency office or so a riding office for uh, then Premier of Ontario, Dalton McGuinty. And I was literally writing correspondence. I was answering his mail. Uh, that was my job. And I was being paid like $30,000 a year to do it. And I was the happiest I think I've ever been in my life. Just, I couldn't believe that I'd gotten a job in politics. And fast forward 10 years from that day, um, I did 10 years in government. And when I left, I was a chief of staff for a cabinet minister uh, in two separate portfolios. So I was blessed in that the time that I entered government, I had a runway to be able to grow and to, um, to move up the ranks. Not all governments enjoy 14 years in office, right? Um, right. We've certainly seen higher changeover in recent years. So a lot of it in politics is, is opportunity, timing, and a little bit of luck. But it's also hard work. So, um, 
two things in particular are disproportionately rewarded in politics above all else, and that is loyalty and hard work. And I say that because, and maybe a podcast for another time, we can all speak to uh, cabinet ministers or appointments in politics that were made for anything other than competency or um, relevancy, right? And um, that's because loyalty and hard work are rewarded. And I happen to have both of those <laughs> as a result of my childhood and as a result of the way I was raised. Uh, my dad's a really hard worker and, and there was nothing short in our household. So, so how did I get there? I got there largely because when I look back, I was a kid. Like when I started in politics, I was 24. I didn't have a family. I didn't have a partner. And so for me, it it didn't matter if I worked 60 or 80 hours a week. I just did it. I did it because I loved my job and, and I wanted to be part of it. And I was ambitious, but that is a real barrier. I look to even to my life now uh, where I am married, I have a, a young son. And, and I, even if I wanted to work 80 hours a week, it, it's just not feasible anymore. And right. it's not feasible in the same way. I have different priorities. So politics is disproportionately skewed to people who can, commit 100% and commit more than what I think lots of people would agree is perhaps maybe even healthy. So there's, that's the honest truth in terms of politics. Um, and then the other barriers really that I faced, um, politics when I started, and you alluded to this a long time ago, was a different place than it is now even. And we've made some gains, although we're not where we need to be. And um, there were lots of times in my political career where I would walk in the room and be the only woman, right? The only woman and often younger than everybody else by 20 years. <laughs> so if you imagine, right, the anxiety wow. that you feel walking into that room and having some really serious discussions or some difficult discussions, right? Because government and politics is about public policy and making decisions. And so um, that's the nature of the game. And um and I think I was able to persevere, one, because of my commitment to my job, and two, uh, I credit my dad and, and my upbringing and the, the never give up, never give in um, sort of mentality that I grew up with really served me well in politics. Um, but what the result of that is, and I think we're getting better at it in terms of parties and government, certainly I've seen it, but for a long time, too long, generations, there was one kind of person excelled and did well at politics um and there was no room for anybody else and that is why i think you saw it was disproportionately male it was disproportionately white it was disproportionately people that came from privileged backgrounds people who were born into a network people who knew people who right. knew people the powerful families the powerful circles and that was who ran our government for generations yeah we've the started to break down those barriers but there's way more work that needs to be done well, and, and I, we're going to just, I'm going to give credit here to uh, Jasmine Petty, who wrote a paper. And, and this, is, this is for people listening. This is for uh, federal MPs. So Jackie is the executive vice president of the Ontario um, Liberal, Liberal Party. Party. So that, yeah, so that's the MPP. So, but uh, since about 1997, the percentage of women representing uh, uh, Canadians as MPs has hovered between about 20 and 25%. That's uh, consistent over the past 25 years. And our current ranking in the world of 193 countries when it comes to gender, uh, proportionate gender representation is 59th. 
So, you know, Canadians are, we're really polite about this, but we like to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, you know, quietly, eh? See, that was what I did there. And we just, um, and we like to think, oh, no, we're really, we're really inclusive. But, mm-hmm. but the numbers, when it comes to women in politics, um, don't bear that out, Jackie. And you, meant, you touched on something there um, about the amount of hours uh, that uh, that need to be worked because they're re- you know that's what's rewarded is that the is that the barrier um for women about entering politics is trying to find that work-life balance or is it is it or is it also partially uh well it's male dominated and they don't really men and i'm obviously a man um mm-hmm. you know don't want to hand over um kind of that power, if you will, to, to women. Yeah, it's all of those things and more. I mean, the the reality is the barriers that prevent more women from not just seeking office, but successfully winning office. Uh, Those are two different things. Um, There are tons of barriers and it's never just one thing. It's a combination um, of lots of things and unique situations. The hours. So also in part of my role with the Ontario Liberal Party, I've been actively doing candidate search for the provincial election in 2022. I talk to potential candidates from across the country, lots of different backgrounds. I speak to women regularly, trying to encourage them to run for office. And a couple of key themes keep reoccurring. One is the time commitment and the travel. So particularly women with young families don't want to be away from their families for uh, several days. Like, let's not forget that all of those elected officials, whether they sit in Parliament Hill in Ottawa or Queen's Park in Toronto, the vast majority of them have to travel from their home ridings to be at work, quote unquote, when the house is sitting. And so they're away from their family for days or weeks on end. That's tough if you have a young family and there's lots of mothers that don't want to do that. And the system isn't designed right now to let mothers bring their children or to make it easy for them to be with their families while they're serving. And then there's the the the, what I alluded to before, which was the, the circles of power and influence and the fact that politics continues and can still be the darker side of politics is a, is a bit of a closed club. And so uh, women have found it difficult to break through because to win a nomination and become a candidate in any party, you need to build a team, you need to raise money, you need to win votes and you need to sign people up. And that can be tough if you don't have a pre-existing network or, or a large like Rolodex, so to speak, that ages me. We don't say Rolodex anymore. All the, all the kids watching are like Googling, what's a Rolodex? But it's, so yeah, if, you, yeah. if you don't have those, that's a problem. <laughs> and then the, the third piece, which I mean, is becoming more and more a problem uh, and I'm very passionate about is the tone of politics these days. And certainly um, I one person I think um, best exemplifies this is uh, Catherine McKenna. And when you look at Catherine McKenna, and what she went through as Minister of the Environment, being called Climate Barbie, being taunted and harassed on Twitter constantly. I mean, it, it is unspeakable what some of these politicians um, go through and endure um, the, the abuse that they get from uh, through social media and from others. And um, Catherine McKenna had a police detail who had to go with her everywhere, take her kids. The police had to take her kids to school. And so when you when you hear of people going through that to serve there's a lot of people who say wait a minute like why would i bother yeah it's not worth it and and just for our listeners catherine mckenna was a the federal mp 
um, was a federal MP, correct? She was a federal MP for Ottawa Center. She served as Minister of the Environment and most recently as Minister of Infrastructure. Right. Okay. I just wanted to make that clear of, of, of her position. And certainly it's a, it's a toxic swamp. Um, it's become more toxic. I, I mean, there are days on my social media, I use it. Um, I'm a writer and a podcaster. So, you know, you sort of, sort of obligated to be on it and stuff, but there are days I just, I, you know, Jackie, I can't be on it. I just, it's yep. so, it, it seems to bring out the worst in us, mm -hmm. but I, going back to, um, what you were talking about that this there's this sort of um and i don't i don't want to say that this is all people but there is an inherent misogyny that seems kind of built into the culture there was a great book by rebecca traster and this is back in 2008 now folks so this is before you know uh this is the big sort of the beginnings of social media when it was really become and uh, there was a book by Rebecca Tracer called Big Girls Don't Cry. And it was about Hillary Clinton um, mm -hmm. running. And this is not her running for president. You're, some people recently remember that. This is her running for the Democratic nomination against Barack Obama. And, and this was on the supposedly progressive side. And, and, and the sort of the abuse and the way that she had to answer questions like, why are you wearing pants? Right? Or uh, questions about her hair. Right. These are not questions that men have to field. Right. Never. And, you know, like if it was about my hair, like what would I say? I, I, I shave my head. Right. No, does it look good? I don't know. Do I have any extra bumps? Like, you know, so yeah, this true. is um, so. And with that in mind, going through this and I know you've had a couple of mentors. We've talked about mentors on this mm -hmm. show. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you have received? Um, over the years or best pieces of advice or just uh, something that's made a difference for you. I know how competitive you are and you absolutely need that fire to be, to be, to do politics well. So yeah. what, but what's the piece of advice that, you know, or pieces of advice that you received that has helped uh, keep you going? So I have two. The first is something my father told me when I was very young and I remind myself almost daily of this. And he said to me, never forget that the world is run by people who show up. Ooh. The world is run by people who show up. And it's true. The people who are in the room and around the table at the time of the decision are the ones that get to make the decisions. And why that mattered to me as a kid is like most teenagers, I was pretty rebellious. And I, I looked around and the minute I, I could realize what was happening in the world, I decided I didn't like the way anybody was doing anything. And the only way I could fix it, my dad's response was always, well, then you do it, right? If you think you can do better, go do better. And so I made that decision early on that if people were making decisions about my life, I wanted to be part of that. So I did. And then the second piece is I was really fortunate in early on in my career to have a, a female mentor who, um, who was fantastic and very successful in politics. And, and she and I would talk about everything. And she... Um, she's the one that said to me um don't wait to be spoken to if you sit there waiting for someone to ask your opinion you'll live your whole life in silence you need to speak up you need to like you need to to um assert your role at the table give your opinions and be an active part of the conversation but i i remember that often because it's true and if you watch the dynamic in a room uh it's not often that a man will look at a woman and say what do you think you have to speak up you have to let your voice be heard. So those are two pieces. 
that they're both excellent. And I mean, <laughs> sort of leads into my next question. Um, what would you say? Um, and you've had these conversations uh, to mm -hmm. any to any of my anybody listening to this show. Um, I know I interact with a number of really smart, informed and educated women uh, on social media. What would you say if uh, to someone and particularly a woman who wants to get into politics um, to encourage them to do so? Um, you know, even we've we've talked about like the toxic environment, we've talked about mm -hmm. some of the things that people have to go through or women have to go women have to go through more than a man does. I think that's pretty clear. I don't think that's an outlandish take, obviously. Um, what would you say to them? So I say a couple of things. Um, the first thing I say to them is um, that no problem is insurmountable and, and some of the barriers that you face are, they're all manageable with the right team and the right plan in place. So if you take the time and ensure you have this support system and a, a plan of action that you can overcome any of those barriers. Um, but I think the more important message uh, that I say to women all the time is, um, things will never change until more women are elected. Um, and so the actual, the, it, the irony is that the resolution to the challenges that we face in the system is by flooding it with more women, because we know that when we have more women in positions of leadership, they make different decisions and we have different outcomes. And right. so things won't change until more women are part of the discussion. And if you won't do it, then who will, right? So I think it's a, it's a little bit of a, we need to speak up and, and take our place. I'll, I'll further say um, that you mentioned um, the numbers of elected women who, are who have, have been stagnant, right? Um, it's one thing to get elected and certainly I commend the prime minister for being the first in our history to have a gender balanced cabinet. Right. But let's not also forget that just having women uh, elected or at the table isn't good enough. We need women in positions of leadership and significant leadership. So it wasn't until 2020, 2020, less than a year ago, that Canada had its first ever female minister of finance. 2020 folks. Uh, in 2020 or 2021, we shouldn't have the first female anything. We should have been there. We should have done all of those things. And so, but we won't get to that place until there are more women in the process. And so the, the simple truth is that, and it's, it's, a, it's something that we all have to take responsibility for and work for it. That, that's crazy. I didn't even know that stat. Um, but if you're, you're right, because there is a hierarchy, generally speaking, before you get elected as a leader of a party, you need to be a minister, right? Like, like you have to move up the ranks. So if, if women get elected, but then they're just on the back bench, like on the back bench and they, and they don't move up, well, right? right? And I mean, the, the one stat is, I mean, you can count Kim Campbell if you want. I think she was prime minister for a couple of days or whatever it was. Um, but we've never elected a female prime minister. No, and true. right. And, and the thing that's crazy to me is that <laughs> you've seen the discussions where these countries that we call them backwater countries, well, they've had female presidents and prime ministers. So mm -hmm. like that to me is it always sort of, I find it startling because I like oh, to wow. think of Canada, you know, as, you know, this, you know, aside from the, you know, the beer drinking and hockey um, as a really 
uh, open and progressive place and um, trying to get there, you know, and, and, but the numbers don't necessarily back it up. So anyway, listen, thanks so much for coming on the show, Jackie. Really loved having you. Um, Maybe we'll have you again next season if you're willing and we can, we can talk about, well, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. This is, um, (laughs) is there anything else you wanted to say before we, uh, before we head out? No, listen, I mean, shameless plug. I don't know when you will, um, air this but um this is being recorded so everybody knows on the eve of what is a federal election and so i'm not going to tell you who to vote for but uh i encourage everybody to get out there and vote cast your ballot it's the only thing your government asks of you well that and pay your taxes but uh go go cast your ballot um and make sure that your voice is heard so yeah and this is going to be out on uh monday or tuesday i would tell you what day it is but i i seem to have lost track i only know it's friday so <laughs> this will be, so it'll be the, I think day one of the rip period. It looks there, like. there you go. There you go. Perfect. So, um, all right, guys, listen, again, like, or subscribe and, uh, Jackie, the information, is there any, uh, website that you want to direct people to, or, um, I can include your information if, if you're watching this on YouTube, but is there a, a particular website in case someone's listening to this podcast? in their car or whatever, um, where you would like to people to take a look? No, listen, if people are looking to find me and they want to connect, just search me on, on LinkedIn. That's usually the, the easiest thing to do. And, and always happy to chat about politics or if there's any potential aspiring politicians listening, I'm happy to chat with you about that too. Take it for me, folks. She's amazing. Um, all right, guys. Thanks again for joining me. My name is Stephen R. Burns. Thank you to Jackie Chiquette for coming in. And we'll see you guys soon. Take care.